one of the things that was said by a lot of people that they meant in the kindness of their heart is that they come into your classroom and they say, do you need anything? What can I do? Mm -hmm. And that puts all of the weight on to the new teacher who, for one, has no idea what he or she needs. Mm. Like, I don't know what I'm missing because I am so far underwater that I couldn't tell you where the shore was. Like, I'm not worried about how to get to land. I'm worried about how to get to air. Education degrees are in tragic decline. Enrollments in education programs have decreased by one third and degree completion is down 28% in just the last couple years. Yet in 2022, there were 36,000 vacant teaching positions and 163,000 positions featured underqualified teachers. So it's not like teaching jobs don't exist for new teachers, right? As one school leader I know joked, got a pulse, you're hired. But we all know why education isn't desirable, right? Teaching boasts one of the highest stress rates across all professions. It's route with emotional exhaustion, distrust, political pressure, and micromanagement. Oh, and then there's the old pay thing. Pensions are slashed, if they even exist, and teachers earn 23% less in weekly wages compared to similarly college-educated peers, even when accounting for breaks. Still, classrooms need educators students need compassionate intelligent and dedicated teachers and guess what i found one today we're going to figure out why someone would go into education today and why they are choosing to stay welcome to educator happy hour Educator Happy Hour is brought to you by Top Youth Speakers. If you're looking to inspire your staff or students to not only motivate their thinking, but their actions in school and beyond, then check out Top Youth Speakers. Top Youth Speakers is a group of 33 carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. To browse speakers and read reviews and watch preview videos, go to topyouthspeakers.com. I want you to imagine being hired mid-year, one of the worst times to come into a school year. Then I want you to imagine that you're hired mid-year in 2021, one of the friggin' hardest years of teaching any educator has experienced. That's the experience of today's guest, who we're calling Katie. Katie and I will be talking about the hell and hope of first-year teaching, what definitely helped and what definitely didn't help, and why she still loves this work. If you're an early career educator, you're going to learn some ideas on how to overcome the many mental and emotional hurdles of teaching. If you're a veteran teacher or just a caring human, you'll learn what you should do to support new educators, things you're doing right already, and maybe some things you think are helping but are actually making it worse. And if you're a school leader, you're going to get some powerful insights on how to attract, retain, and support early career teachers so, you know, education doesn't go down the toilet. With that, my happy hour hodgepodge, let's welcome to the show Katie, an early career educator. Katie currently teaches secondary language arts at a rural school in the Midwest, and she has been through a year, let me tell you. And I'm excited to dig into her experience that we all can learn from. All right, Katie, welcome to the Educator Happy Hour podcast. I am geeked to get a chance to chat with you today. I'm also really excited. First question we ask everyone is if you're having a rough or stressful day, what is your drink or decompressor of choice? 
It's a little bit weird, but I think my favorite <laughs> drink of choice is actually like a warm milk and caramel is what I tend <laughs> to lean towards. I have like this recipe that I do that's like black tea and like burnt sugar and milk and it's oh. really good. It does not have any alcohol in it unless you add some, but I tend not to drink on school nights. So that's if I'm really just having a rough day, I will make that because like the process of making it is also kind of soothing. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it seems kind of involved. Well, at first I thought you were just going to say warm milk. And I'm just picturing like you, like as a cat with like a little saucer that <laughs> you're just like having a rough day. That's but, how like, did that, you guess? That's actually how I drink it. Like <laughs> I have like a special bowl. It's like how we could tell you have a really rough day when you're just like as a cat. That that actually sounds delicious. Okay, so I, I really want to just tap in your brain about what your experience was like your first year teaching, because that is seems to be like the make or break experience for so many people that they get thrown into this crazy chaotic world of education and then they have to figure it out on so many levels. If you could describe your first year teaching in three words, what would those words be? The one that immediately comes to mind is stressful. Mm. It was one of the most stressful and hard things I think I've ever done in my entire mm. life. Yeah. The second one would probably be fast because it seemed to just really fly by. And then the th third word, I would probably say rewarding because it was a lot different than what I had expected it to be. But I ended up feeling really like fulfilled by the end of the year not in the middle <laughs> <laughs> the middle always sucks it's always just like what am i doing there were several times that i was like man i just started and i'm really thinking about maybe changing my career but by by the end of my first year i was completely on board and i really loved it that's awesome. I, I think all three of those words, any listener, no matter if they're in their, their first or their 50th year, can relate to because like all of those, and it's weird because all those are happening all at once. It's like, this is super stressful and like, I just feel tense, but I'm also really know that I'm making an impact and it's fun, but it's also flying by, but it also like, why is it still first period right now? Like all of those things are happening all at once. What were the hardest parts of your first year? Well, I did my first year of teaching right kind of at the tail end of like the quarantine mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. during the middle of the really tense political climate. Mm. That is still kind of around, but definitely had reached a peak. I was teaching units that were pretty heavily um, influenced by the topics that were currently going on. Yeah. And as a first year teacher, that was incredibly stressful. Yeah, It's also just a lot different being in a classroom by yourself and realizing that like you are the adult in the room. Mm -hmm. especially when you don't feel like an adult you feel like a glorified teenager <laughs> right. um and all of you have a class of I had classes of 30 kids and they all would just stare at me and expect me to know what I was doing mm -hmm. um and I pretty firmly had no idea what I was supposed <laughs> to be doing it's a lot of fake it till you make it and yeah it was just a lot of things all going on at once I had also taken over for a rather like beloved teacher that had left mm. prior and so they all kind of looked at me like it was my fault that the teacher was gone 
Um, <laughs> like you Game of Thrones came in and you, yeah. you smited that previous teacher. <laughs> like I like blackmailed this teacher into resigning. Um, versus I have never met this teacher. So I had no idea mm. what I was walking yeah. into. Um, yeah. And so it was felt a lot like a battle of wills. <laughs> my yeah. first my first year. Yeah. Well, any one of those on their own is really tricky. The very first moment when you're like, oh, no, like there, there's no other adult in here to help me. Because, you know, the traditional model when you're student teaching is like you typically have your mentor, if not in the room, like nearby, or if you need to, to have them swoop in, if you're like, I don't know what to do here. And then like you get into teaching and you're entirely on your own and you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do with this extra time? Like that alone is stressful. And then, holy crap, the time when you came into education like is probably one of the hardest times because so much was going on politically and so much was going on with the pandemic that, I mean, veterans were having a hard time with dealing with student questions and, and parent anger. And to think about having that thrown at you your very first year is wild. I did kind of feel like it was a fastball. Um, right. <laughs> I've just learned how to play baseball and they're not going easy. Um I do think it is kind of interesting that teaching is one of the only professions that I can think of where it is completely normal and expected for there to be one adult in a room of 30 mm. kids and mm -hmm. be the right. only authority, um, yeah. which like logistically makes sense for like what it is and the resources that we have. And but it it is kind of a weird anomaly that like normally you wouldn't leave an adult completely by themselves with that many kids and it would be right. considered almost taboo. Yeah. But it's like totally expected. But that also means like if there's a medical emergency, if I have to yeah. use the bathroom, right. if like something happens that I need to be like a part of, I can't leave. I'm essentially trapped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're trapped by the children. <laughs> I'm trapped by yeah. the children because there's 30 kids that I can't leave unattended. And I am the only adult and I can't really lean on the other adults that are around me because they also have 30 kids right. that can't be left unattended. Yeah. Because so, it's, it's not just like watching kids and making sure that they're not doing anything terrible, but like we're having to, to teach them really difficult academic content. Like we're supposed to engage them, keep them aligned and try to move them forward and challenge them and like all those things at once. And that's really freaking hard. I think that's something that like people outside of education just do not understand when they think about what education is. It's like, if you ever stood in front of a room of teenagers, like you know how difficult that can be. It is, it is incredibly difficult. I also think that a lot of people who are outside of the teaching profession don't understand like how many hats I have to wear. Mm, like mm -hmm. I'm not just a teacher. My job isn't to come in there, say the things like the Pythagorean <laughs> theorem, teach <laughs> like my vocabulary and then get out. Like I'm expected yeah. to be not only an educator, but also a social worker and a like mentor. And also there's just so many different things that I have to do because I'm not just in charge of the kid's education. I'm also in charge of their like mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. Um, and like I'm supposed to be entertaining, but I'm also supposed to be professional and I'm also supposed to teach them what they need to know. But I, it's very hard. It's really hard. 
it's really freaking hard. Yeah. And you know, I was interviewing a coordinator that gets into the idea of like whole child, like in order to teach kids academically, like we also have to support their social, emotional, their health needs, like cultural needs, all these things. And most educators are like, yeah, that makes total sense because that's our lived experience. But also like, that's a lot of friggin' pressure. That is a lot for one individual to try to do in a contractual timeline. And that pressure can sometimes be overwhelming. So how have you been managing and coping with all of those different hats that you have to wear? I have the added benefit of I really like kids, which I think is not (laughs) true of all teachers. Um, So for me, once I stopped being so, well, I say stopped, once I am less stressed about the level of academic achievement that like I personally have and like forcing Mm. my kids to learn and forcing them to be productive and once I kind of accepted that some things are more important than that Mm -hmm. which sounds really weird for a teacher to say like it it sounds really kind of unorthodox but when I stopped caring about whether or not my students were learning the content and started caring about Mm -hmm. whether or not Mm -hmm. they were being taken care of they learned the content better right they respond better to me as a figure of authority when they realize that I am not their enemy, I am their mentor and their partner and trying to, like, I'm trying to help them. Yeah. I mean, so many listeners can probably relate to that idea. I I think it's pretty incredible to have gotten to that point within your first year, because I think I was quite a few years in to teaching before I let some of that pressure off my shoulders because I was like rigor, rigor. You know, like I I did a bunch of like dumb stuff for the fun of it. Like (laughs) I wasn't like all rigor all the time, but I still had that pressure of like, oh my gosh, if this kid didn't get an A on this or if a kid, you know, didn't turn in this assignment, like I took that personally to the point of that it was unhealthy where I was stressing myself out too much about trying to do all of the things perfectly rather than a few of the things really well. And that's a huge shift, I think, for a lot of people, no matter where they're at in their career. What have been the best parts of teaching so far? I just really like kids. So some of the best parts have been moments that have like nothing to do with the classroom and everything to do with just (laughs) getting to interact with these cool humans. I think because I've started uh, like one of my first like careers, not my first full-time job because I did things before this, Mm -hmm. but like one of my first careers in such a fast paced moving environment that I think if I had an office Mm -hmm. job, I would wither and die. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a job that was the same every day, I don't know if I could handle it. Yeah. There is the, I mean, that's also part of the stress, but also part of the reward, like you mentioned earlier, of like, we have no idea how this is going to go. I'm going to come in, I could have the same exact lesson plan with the same exact students two days in a row, and it's going to be wildly different every single time. Crazy different. And I forget what I've said. Yeah, all the time. I mean, especially when you have multiple classes of the same content area and you're like, remember the amount of times that I was like, did we already talk about this? And they might have been lying. They might have been like, yep. And then I was just like, okay, we'll move on to a new thing. And it's like, what is going on in my brain? In my I do life? have kids that are like, you never told us this. And I'm like, I for sure did. You know why? Because I said it six yeah. times in the same day. <laughs> <And> I remember. <laughs> right. 
I would love to shift because a lot of our listeners are also in a school leadership position. And so on their minds are these questions of when new teachers come in, how do we help them? How do we help them be successful and how do we support them? And so let's talk about the support that you have your first year. Um, what were some of the supports or things that really helped you find your groove or at least find some success or growth within your first year? Uh, I was lucky enough to have an instructional mentor that would come into my classroom and help me with many things. And that helped, I think, probably the most was to just have somebody that I could run to and be like, help, I am dying. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. And I really need someone to understand <laughs> that I don't know what I'm doing. And I really need some help. Yeah, Being vulnerable was really nice because not a lot of teachers mm. uh not a lot of first year teachers especially feel like they can be vulnerable with like administration or going to their bosses mm -hmm. um and saying i don't know what i'm right. doing because they just hired me to know what i'm doing <laughs> and i for yeah. sure don't i talk all the time about how critical it is to have like a buffer between teachers and administration if there's like evaluative measures in place as someone who's done coaching before if I feel this pressure of like having to report to the administrator of what went wrong or the teacher I'm working with is worried that I'm going to report what they're struggling with like that mm -hmm. erodes trust and then people can't be vulnerable. And like, that's the only way, especially our first few years, like we have to be able to talk about the things that are we're struggling with. Otherwise, nothing is going to change. That role is pretty critical in a lot of realms. Did you also have a mentor? I did have a mentor, but I it was it was odd because my mentor and I taught very different subjects. So it ended mm. up being maybe not as fruitful as it probably could have been. That's not to say that my mentor wasn't helpful or like kind and yeah. like generous and like that kind of thing. It was definitely not on them at all, yeah. but it was just like a lack of resources. The schools are really lacking for teachers and yeah. subs and yeah just employees in general. Yeah, because a lot of times mentors have the title, but they don't actually have the room in their schedule to visit and observe. I mean, I think my first year, my mentor, actually like over the course of my first three years, I think my mentor watched me teach once. Mm -hmm. And it was like 20 minutes, he popped in, he left and then afterwards like sent me a little note of a couple things and thankfully like I had people outside of my school district that were like really helpful with the, the art of teaching and the science of mm -hmm. teaching but it's hard like I think it's hard to, to get the amount of time how much do you think would be an appropriate amount of time for like, a coach or a mentor to work with a new teacher I think it would really depend on like the level of confidence and like each individual new teacher is going to be different Mm -hmm. um mm. for me i found it really helpful to meet at least once a week one yeah. of the hardest things is that like because my mentor and i taught very different subjects we had different planning periods so there was oh, right. no point in which i could ask for help because there was no point in which yeah. they didn't have their own things that they were doing and there's only yeah. so much time before and after school and by the time you get to the end of the school day you don't really want to hang out for another hour and a half <laughs> right um, you're like i'm sick of it i need to get out of here yeah teaching is one of those jobs where if you let it it will take every waking hour of every day of your life mm. you can spend yeah. 24 hours a day dedicated to teaching and still feel like you're yeah. not doing enough yeah and some point oh you just gosh, need to yeah. be like well i'm gonna be a mediocre teacher because i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> that there is a healthy level of, of detachment from it of like i'm i'm gonna do my best with what i have right now it just just be all right that it might not be Stellar. It might not be great. Um, let's kind of look on the flip side of 
what support do you wish you had had more of? I think one of the things that was said by a lot of people that they meant in the kindness of their hearts, it's one of those things that people <laughs> say because they want to be helpful, is that they come into yeah. your classroom and they say, do you need anything? What can I do? Mm. Mm-hmm. And that puts all of the weight on to the new teacher who, for one, has no idea what he or she needs. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I'm right? missing because I am so far underwater that I couldn't tell you where the shore was. Yeah. Like, I'm not worried about how yeah. to get to land. I'm worried about how to get to air. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't, yeah. Don't really care about where I'm going. So it's complete. It's said out of like generosity and kindness and they genuinely mean it like what do you need how can i help but especially if these are your new co-workers who you've never met and mm. they say oh if you ever need anything and it's really hard to tell if they're being serious or not serious and like what i would really need is a bathroom break but you have your own class that you're teaching too <laughs> i don't know how to work yeah. the printer do you have time to help me figure out how to work the printer or are you just saying that to be nice i don't know what i need what i need is lesson plans and you can't help me with that rather than coming to new teachers with what can i do coming with hey when I was a first year teacher, my mentor teacher did this. Would you like me to do that for you? Or mm-hmm. like just coming with some kind of initiative other than you good? Yep. Okay. Bye. Right. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's a huge insight that I think a lot of people wouldn't realize otherwise. Because uh, teaching is also this weird profession where to a certain point, people have the mentality of like you, once you get into your room, like that's your space, you own it. Like you, you do you sort of thing. And so then we get isolated, we get in our little silos and then it becomes kind of weird of like, how do we cross into someone else's silo? Like, how do we, how do we give them support without trying to tell them what to do or be bossy or be overbearing? Um, But I think because people are too worried about that, sometimes they do have like kind of these surface level, like, Hey, let me know if you need anything without realizing that for a lot of people early in their careers they are like, well, I don't really know what I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And that was a big shift for me. Like I'll, I'll get nerdy for a little bit. Like there are all these different coaching models. And one of the first coaching models I, I learned was like, it was very facilitative of other people's thoughts. So like you would just ask questions and then you'd ask questions and you would ask questions. And the idea was like almost Socratic method to get a new teacher to realize something or have an aha. But I realized that did not work for a lot of the teachers I coached because they don't, they don't know what skills are lacking yet because that hasn't been identified for them. So I had to shift into this mode of, okay, I'm going to observe, give some like information for you. And then we can move forward from there. Because if it's just, Hey, what do you need? A lot of times the teachers are like, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know what's going wrong right now. It did get to the point in like my first year where if somebody asked me, what do you need? my response would be immediately to try not to cry because I don't know how to answer. And I have like two answers, which is nothing. I'm fine, which makes me look like a professional and well, that's, that's the acceptable answer is nothing. And I'm fine because I should know what I'm doing. I have a degree in this shit. Like (laughs) I should know. (laughs) And then two, I could be like, no, everything is falling apart. And then their response is, Oh, Okay what can I do? And it's the same question again. And I still don't know how to answer. So it was just easier to say, no, I'm fine. Like, leave me alone. Because trying to manifest ideas for you to help is more taxing than just doing it all myself. 
Yeah. Yeah, to an already exhausted, overwhelmed brain. I got very good at the 10-minute breakdown. <laughs> I did. <laughs> like, the breakdown, like, emotionally, I'm, I'm sobbing right yeah, now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, okay, yeah. well, I can't cry now because I'm in the middle of teaching a class, but I know that I'll have <laughs> my planning period next hour, um, and if I take 10 minutes in my planning period to just bawl my eyes out, I will have another 45 minutes to actually be productive. <laughs> I like that you front loaded it too. Like I'm going to oh, cry yeah. first. I always cry then first. Then I'm going to get to my copies. <laughs> I always cry first. Genuinely, I feel like crying first is a skill to have. Yeah. I used to be really yeah. like embarrassed about it. And now I'm like, no, you got to <laughs> If you got to have a really quick breakdown in the teacher's bathroom, that's allowed. <laughs> and it's fine. And you'll There's, feel better. School should have like designated cry zones. I mean, I've seen those uh, like on the break rooms where you just like smash a bunch of stuff. Like I think there should be a separate room of just like, you can go in there and you can cry. It's soundproofed. So you can really just like ball it out and then no one will hear your tears. I have a punch card at a break room, like a rage room. Do really? I do. That's awesome. I really want to try It's one. really fun. I highly recommend for anybody who enjoys breaking things and losing their minds that I highly recommend it. That's sweet. If you're looking for a gift for the new teacher in your <laughs> life, get them a punch card to the break room. Um, so tell me more about what your experiences were like with some of your colleagues your first year because... I mean, I have, I have many, many traumatic moments of experience with my colleagues my first year. Some of them are great and some of them are really challenging. I'm curious to know, how did your colleagues or your staffing impact your experience with teaching? I love my colleagues, actually, which is awesome. funny because I have the unique and odd sensation of being a teacher at a school I graduated from. Mm -hmm. And so my colleagues were once my teachers and you don't know true terror until like you watch your English teacher take a shot for the first time like <laughs> you're like buy you lottery tickets or like it's wild it is a completely different experience and when I went into it I was kind of afraid that I would be still treated like a student mm -hmm. and I was very lucky in that my colleagues understood mm. immediately that that's not an appropriate or helpful mentality to have yeah. and so they were very good about like immediately just being like oh yeah i know you from before yeah. but you are now firmly my colleague um right so it's weird like i have a very unique perspective <laughs> on my coworkers. Yeah. well that, i think that's really good though that because i i know some people can get really patronizing for a uh, former student who's now a colleague um, because some people just have a hard time detaching teenage human being from a grown adult human being. And one of my favorite things is when former students became teachers because it was like this full circle experience of mm -hmm. like, here's someone that, you know, our lives kind of interacted a little bit when they were in school at a certain setting. And like, now I see them in this whole professional world, just like kicking ass and doing their work. And like, that's really cool and really rewarding. So I'm glad that so many of your colleagues took that approach rather than still treating you like the teenager that they maybe remember or the student that they had before. I can confidently say that none of your former uh, students would say that they were kicking ass, but I'm glad that... <laughs> At least somebody out there thinks so. For sure. They kick ass way more than they realize and own for themselves. So you're kind of emerging into now your second year because you got hired mid-year. Yes. Let's talk about that for a it moment. Was what was it like coming in mid-year? Awful. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't think there's another word for it. It was traumatic. I was essentially handed 
lesson plans that were half finished, curriculums that were yeah. half done, students who were already used to a certain teacher and are now switching mm. gears, a brand new classroom that was full of somebody else's stuff. Mm. It was awful. But since it was my only experience, I don't know how much of the awful was because it was mid-year and how much of it was just mm. because it was my first year. Because there, I think there's a lot of overlap. At least if I had been my like first year, then I would have had like a summer and I would have had the like right. the the beginning of the year colleague introduction things that yeah. they do, the professional development, the here's how we're gonna set up the year, here are the expectations. Yeah. Um and I was just like, I welcome back. Here's a classroom full of thirty kids. They are gonna <laughs> stare at you. No, we don't have any lesson plans for you. Figure it out. Yeah. Veteran teachers, like, sometimes get so annoyed with the, the back to school, like, you know, transition from summer in, and we're, like, going over the student handbook again, or we're going over all the policies. But, like, I think we take for granted how critical that is of giving people just a base understanding of, of some of the things that then they don't have to worry about for the rest of the year. And when you just come in mid-year and it's like, oh, no, like, no one really – worked through like here's what to do in this situation or here's the policy or here's where to find the break room or like all of this stuff that happens at the beginning of the year like that is freaking hard yeah. so i'm sure that added a level of stress to an already stressful having first year. no idea where the staff bathrooms were or how to write at attention or like who yeah. how to use the phone like these are things that right. you don't know um but everybody thinks it's so normal that it's it's yeah. fine the other thing that I think teachers, first year teachers, or especially me, maybe I didn't pay enough attention in my classes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the alphabet soup that is teaching, the mm. coming into mm -hmm. teaching, especially mid-year, when everybody's already so used to everything, and then hearing them talk about sketches, DPDD, PLC, RTI, AEC, right. like all of these just letters. They're just letters. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Just, just floating in the air. They're just... Hovering around my skull, and I have no idea what the I have is. no idea. And so, <laughs> after like my first year of teaching, I have firmly come to the conclusion that I know nothing, and it's okay to know nothing. And I'm totally yeah. comfortable with being like, hey guys, I'm an idiot, help me out. But mm -hmm. coming into your first year, especially mid year, you have this expectation that you should know what you are doing. And so that asking for help becomes awkward, and showing yeah. Yeah. vulnerability becomes awkward and that's really hard it's really hard i'm firmly in the like no i'm an idiot and please help me now but first year if i could go back and redo it again i would have been way more quick to say i don't know what that mm. means somebody please mm. help me because i'm fortunate enough to have colleagues that will help i really right. empathize and pity the teachers that come into new school districts and don't have colleagues that are as welcoming and helpful and gentle as mine are. I don't know how I would have done yeah. it. And I have a lot of respect yeah. for teachers who do. Well, it, it goes back to that struggle of when you get hired in, it's, it's hard to admit that you don't know what you're doing because you do feel this pressure of like, no, they hired me versus X number of other people. I mean, I remember my superintendent when I was first hired and like one of the very first conversations I ever had with the superintendent, they were like, we don't hire 
C teachers. We don't hire B teachers. We only hire A teachers. And I know it's supposed to come from this place of like, we, we are expecting you to like kick butt and all that. But there was like just so much pressure from that. I feel like a D minus today. <laughs> like, and I can't, you know, like I can't own that because the expectation is that you have to go hard and know it all. And I know where that intention comes from, but when it gets into practice, like that is a lot of weight to bear. So I'm glad that you're able to to get over some of those and to have colleagues who really supported and allowed you to feel safe and vulnerable to ask for what you need or admit when you don't know something, especially all those freaking acronyms. So many freaking acronyms. It's alphabet soup. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So how, how do you feel about teaching right now? I really like it. I joke with my students often. I I tend to pretend to be grumpy uh, quite a lot. Uh, And I think it keeps them in line. And so they'll be like, why are you even here? And I'm like, because unfortunately, I really like you. And if I didn't like teaching so much, I could get a better job. But unfortunately, I really like this career. And so I'm stuck here because I feel fulfilled. And that's unfortunate. Damn damn you children for making me feel fulfilled. It's it's true though. Like if I didn't like it so much, I could go make more money doing something easier. But unfortunately, yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna continue <laughs> doing this like some kind of masochist. Um yeah. but I like it. I really like the kids and I really like teaching and awesome. the moments of connection where like I had a student just come into my room mm-hmm. and said, Here, I made you a beignet and just mm-hmm. set it down on my desk and left. And I was like, oh, thanks. Now I have a beignet. (laughs) And it's having students say things like, you're the reason that I come to school. And I feel safe in your classroom is the Mm. most rewarding and worth it thing. Like I would do my first year of teaching again, as awful as it was, Mm. specifically for that like if I had to start all over again and do everything exactly the same and go through the most grueling year of my whole life I would do it again and again and again because it is worth it to me yeah So we're going to segue into the section called statements, where I'm going to give you a statement. You're going to strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. We're going to start with one not really related to teaching too much. And here's your statement. The internet has been good for society. That's a hard one. Right off the bat, huh? I'm going to say agree. I would agree that the internet has overall been a good thing if you took if you took the entire weight of the consequences as a whole Mm. i would say that it would come out more good than bad i'm incredibly (laughs) biased because the majority of my friends are actually long distance so if i didn't have the internet Mm. i would have a significantly smaller support system I think it's easy to get wrapped up in like all the bad because that's what we we see you know on the news feeds and on the news but them sometimes we take for granted like how cool this is that you and I are in different areas and we're able to record this podcast right now or that we get to just google a question anytime we want to that yeah even though there are some some trolls there are some trolls out there pretty good all right next statement teaching is a worthwhile career path strongly agree 
awesome. You know, I'll I'll say when I first uh, put this statement out there, I was like, ah, she she might say disagree <laughs> on this one. So I do say I strongly agree with an asterisk. If you're going into teaching for the summers or mm. the schedule, or because you just really like the subject that you want to teach, do not mm. don't come anywhere near it. Because yeah. if I did not enjoy my kids' company, like. I really love yeah. kids and I love taking care of them and I love seeing them grow up. And I have a really good sense of humor, which I think is essential. It would be hell. <laughs> but even the points that are hell, I really like because I like my kids. There's a, there's a school leader I know who, when he's looking through resumes for new teachers, like one of the main things he hones in on is do they have experience with kids outside of a mm -hmm. work setting have they worked at a summer camp do they do they coach do they volunteer and like that is his lens of like bare minimum you have to like kids and you have to have evidence that you enjoy spending time with kids otherwise it is not gonna work i out. feel like for people who are considering being teachers taking a month mm -hmm. at a summer camp is a really good yeah. segue because i would say that teaching is probably 20% content and 80% absolutely everything else that comes with being in charge of 30 children who all have varying mental health crises and are not done developing mm. their prefrontal cortex and they are absolutely crazy and they will get on your nerves. Actually, that's probably 70% of it and then 10% of it is what does this alphabet mean? What, <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? How do I appease the state? But, like, I spend more time of my day worrying about whether kids are okay and mm. what is going on outside of school and making sure that they know that they are loved and respected and that I care about them as people and not just as grade machines than I do mm. worrying about whether or not they got an A on their test. And I want them to pass because I want them to be successful. But I think being successful yeah. has very little to do with your grades in high school. And I think that's one of the yeah. biggest the biggest lies that we tell kids is that if you don't yeah. get perfect A's, then you will not be successful. Because it's not. And I say this yeah. as a straight A student that I was in high school. Mm. It has nothing to do with anything. I have like met more successful people who did very poorly in high school, but are capable of things like empathy and critical thinking mm. and like flexibility and understanding that we as humans make mistakes and knowing how to fail. Right. At the end of the day, I think putting so much stress and pressure on just grades and academics is creating a generation of burnt out, gifted kids that in high school yeah. focus so much on their grades that they forgot how to fail and they didn't learn how to fall. And I don't know how to look at the kids who are so stressed about not getting A's and tell them like, hey, sometimes failing is the best thing that you can do. All right. Final statement. The current model of preparing new teachers is working. Strongly disagree. <laughs> Strongly disagree. <laughs> what would you fix? Like if you were to wave a magic wand and if you could fix even just one thing that you think would make a big difference, what do you think it would be? Student teaching is bullshit. Like okay. I know that that's really kind of a very strong thing to say, but the fact that we are <laughs> essentially unpaid interns yeah. is ridiculous. And they wonder why – sorry, I'm really passionate about this – Oh, yeah. They wonder why we have a teaching shortage and a teaching crisis mm -hmm. when getting a teaching degree is 
thousands of dollars. And at the end of it, you have 12 months or sometimes less, sometimes more, but essentially like a full year of an unpaid internship where you are paying, like I paid $12,000 to work for free. And it's not like student teaching is helpful, like for Mm -hmm. learning things and for getting that in-class experience. Like I'm not going to say that it as a whole is unnecessary because I cannot imagine sending kids straight out of college into just a career. Mm -hmm. Like, for sure, student teaching is necessary. It should happen sooner, and it should be paid, or at least free. Yeah. Like it, should, like yeah. I remember because you know, no one in my family had gone to college before, so I was so dumb to all this stuff. But I remember when I got in my internship year, and then I had to pay for credit hours. I was like, wait a minute, like I am not getting paid. I have to go to work for free, and I'm paying you tuition, like. Is this legal? Like, also, how is this a thing? I was also not allowed to have another job while I student taught. Right, yeah. I was I was forbidden from making money. But if I'm not allowed to make money and I'm working yeah. 40 hours a week and pay, like, where are those $12,000 going to come from? I don't just have that right. lying around. I need to pay rent. It's insane. And we wonder why there's a teacher shortage. Because nobody can afford that. I remember telling my students while I was student teaching about what student teaching was like. They're like, you don't even like us. You don't even like want to be here. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how much I want to be here. I'm paying $12,000 to stand in front of you and have you berate me. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm paying $12,000 to stand here and have you yell at me. And they're like, that's not fair. And I'm like, it's not. But also don't bully me. <laughs> I think if we if we made student teaching, I say we, but like if colleges made student teaching at least free, so it didn't cost the credit yeah. hours, there would be so many more teachers. Because For sure. not everybody has the resources to just pay $12,000 to work full time. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. No other profession does I, that. That's insane. No, no other profession. Yeah. I think you could you could bump everything up. So like I like the apprenticeship model of if your junior year, you know, you're doing some practicum classes and you're getting into classrooms and then like your senior year, like you're literally hired by a district and you're getting paid a salary, but you are co-teaching and someone is mentoring you. And like even if the salary isn't like hundred percent what it would normally be, but like you're getting paid while you're finishing it out. I think that would empower so many more educators and give them more real world experience in a really safe setting. And that would alleviate so much of just that, that last year nonsense or last semester nonsense where you're like, I'm paying a crap ton of money to try something sometimes for the first time. Like I haven't even been in a classroom before. And then I have to decide whether I'd want to do this for the rest of my life or not. Oh yeah. If you had to decide whether or not to be a teacher just based on the student teaching, nobody would. Nobody would. (laughs) Nobody's like, oh, I pay $12,000 to have kids yell at me (laughs) about how they don't like me. And then like, I'm working for free full time. No, absolutely not. Teaching is really friggin' hard. 
Anyone who has stepped near a classroom knows that. But first year teaching, especially in today's educational context, is the friggin' hardest of the friggin' hard things. But as Katie shared with us, there is so much hope and reason to do this work. And no matter how you're connected to education, there are things you can do to help yourself and other educators remember their hope and reasons. As we close our tabs on today's Educator Happy Hour, here is your homework. Number one, if you're an educator and you work with an early career teacher, heed Katie's advice. Don't just say, how's it going or what do you need? Offer up the support that helped you or would have helped you your first years. Suggest things like sitting down to co-plan some lessons, offer to observe and give feedback, or discuss time-saving strategies that you've learned along the way. Many new teachers don't know what they don't know, so take the lead and lift them up. If you're a school leader, your homework is to prioritize new teacher development. Mentoring and coaching programs are proven to boost retention, but many schools only have mentors in spirit. Create or Google mentor handbooks and guides. Do everything you can to pair new teachers and mentors who teach the same subject, have common planning, and care about the profession. And remember that new teachers are probably afraid to ask for help because you're the evaluator. All the more reason why supports with non-evaluative mentors and coaches is critical. If nothing else, just check in on your new teachers probably more frequently than you think you should. Lastly, if you are a new teacher, give yourself permission to struggle. No one knows what the hell they're doing their first year or any year, really. So don't let a failure in the classroom equate to a failure of your character. Find supports who you can be vulnerable asking for help or crying it out with or who can give you suggestions. Look for people in your school or even online who still love the work they do because I promise you they exist. Most of all, don't be afraid to ask for help because it takes a village to raise an educator. Lastly, no matter who you are, whether you are in schools or not, here's your assignment. Take 30 seconds of your day today to reach out to an educator and tell them you respect and value the work they do. Remind them that no matter how much of a shit show education may be today, that their work matters. I promise you educators don't and can't hear that enough. Oh, and one more thing, please, if you liked this podcast, please leave us a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Maybe even share this with someone you know, whether they're a new teacher or not, and help us help others be at their best so they can give their best to the world around them. Cheers, y'all. I look forward to seeing you at the next Educator Happy Hour. Special thanks to Katie for sharing her amazing brain and insights with us and for being the amazing educator she is. Thanks also to my wife and kids for listening to me talk to walls in the basement. Lastly, thanks to our sponsor, Top Youth Speakers, the source for inspiring and impactful speakers and professional development leaders who can help take your staff, your students, and your organization to the next level. To browse the 33 carefully vetted speakers, check out customer reviews, and watch preview videos, head over to topyouthspeakers.com. 